I was asked to bring greetings uh, to the church here in Maidenbower by Ryan and Russ Clark from Jacksdale and Selston Community Church. Uh, it's a strange place, very small couple of villages, old mining villages, but there is a, a thriving gospel witness. And they've preached here, haven't they, on a number of occasions. They asked me, please give greetings from us and assure you them of our continued prayers. We're going to look this evening at Solomon, some of Solomon's wisdom. Solomon was regarded as the wisest man of his generation. And our text is Proverbs 22 and verse 4. Proverbs 22 and verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honour and life. Over the years, a number of people have said to me, in a scoffing kind of way, you're asking me, to trust in God. What has God ever done for me? Nothing. It's not worth it. If you turn to the last chapter of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, there were people who were saying there, it's useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts. Waste of time. We're not interested, really, in serving God. Sometimes even believers for a time, even Christians, looking at the way the wicked prosper may think, is it really worth serving God? That was Asaph's problem in Psalm 73. I've cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocence. But to what end? To what purpose? There's no gain. Perhaps there is someone sitting here this evening who is thinking to themselves, you may be younger, you may be older, you're thinking to yourself, is there any point in me serving God? Isn't it a waste of my life, a waste of time to do that? Well, I, have, I trust that as we look at this verse, you're, if you have that opinion, if you have that idea in your mind, it will be banished and banished forever. Because what Solomon says here is, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honour and life. And here he's, he's really capturing the heart of what the book of Proverbs is all about. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And he's talking here about the fear of the Lord. He's talking about life. He's talking about life on earth. And he's talking about spiritual life. Ultimately, life in Christ. It's one continuous sentence in the original. It can be translated. The consequences of, the reward of, by humility, 
The fear of the Lord, riches, honour, life. It comes sort of blow by blow without any linkage in the words. We've got links in our English translation simply so that we will understand it, but there are no conjunctions, there are no links. It's just one punch after another to drive home what he is saying. Now, when he talks about humility and the fear of the Lord and speaks of riches and honour and life, he is not making a blanket statement, which means that every believer can expect to be rich, every believer can expect to be honoured and respected in this world and live a long life. There are people who go under the name of prosperity preachers who preach and peddle that kind of stuff and saying as long as you trust in God you'll get everything you need in this life it's a lie it's not what Solomon is saying at all what we have here in the first part of the verse are two foundational qualities if you like two building blocks two essential characteristics of true wisdom and true Christian living. Humility and the fear of the Lord. They're like the two pillars that stood in front of Solomon's temple, Jachin and Boaz, and they were adorned the temple, and these characteristics adorn the life of the people of God. Humility and the fear of the Lord. And then there are three blessings that follow, three consequences, three results that follow from that. The blessing of God, riches, honour and life. The tragedy of this world and the men and women of this world who do not understand the scriptures is they put riches, honour and life as the foundation. They want wealth, they want honour, they want respect. And they want to live a long life, and that's their aim, and that's as far as it goes. But they, they're missing the boat. If you put those things first and foremost, then, as Jesus said, you're putting your treasure here on earth and not building, and building up treasure in heaven. So let's look at these two fundamental characteristics. I've put them together because Solomon puts them together, because they are very closely related one to another. Humility and the fear of the Lord. They're inseparable, but they're not identical. Humility arises from a proper knowledge of and reverence for God. And that brings you then to the fear of God. It's a reverence. It's an awe. It's a realization of God's greatness and your smallness, your finiteness, and your sinfulness. You realize how great God is and how dependent you are as a creature upon him. A deep sense of God's greatness, his purity, and his perfection. You see yourself as a creature of the dust, sinful, corrupt, Isaiah perhaps epitomizes for us both humility and the fear of the Lord. In Isaiah 6, he saw a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are told, in John's Gospel. 
but a vision of the Lord. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Just try and imagine what that must have meant to Isaiah. This man becomes overwhelmed by this vision of the Lord in his supreme glory and majesty. It says the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. The house was filled with smoke. And what did Isaiah say? What was his response? Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Here is a man who, having seen the glory and the greatness of God, is humbled in the dust, confesses his sin, and shows that reverence, that awe, that awareness of God's greatness. You compare that with, say, Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of Babylon, Remember that day when he stood on the walls of his city, surveyed this magnificent scene. And Babylon was a magnificent city. And he boasted of great Babylon he had built by my mighty power and the honour of my majesty. Oh, you can see and feel, can't you, the self-promotion. You'll find that in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. And what happened to to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Here he was boasting of his greatness and God deprived him of his wits. For a prolonged period of time, he became like a beast of the field and ate grass, became like an animal. There is a medical condition, it's very rare, but there is a medical condition that can be identified as that. But it was a judgment upon his boasting there was no humility there. There was no fear of God. So these are something which are foundational. They are essential characteristics. They are the fruit of wisdom. And wisdom begins with knowing and understanding the greatness of God. Seeing God in his greatness in yourself, in your littleness, your creatureship, creatureness, creatureliness, and your sinfulness. Now, humility is not a false modesty, always putting yourself down. Neither is it the humbling of yourself like Absalom, kissing the hands of the people. His motives were false and wrong. He wanted to gain their favor. He wanted to ingratiate himself. And he wanted to humble himself or appear to be humble. But what he really wanted was the throne of David. And he got the throne of David. You might remember that to fear the Lord is not simply something which is inferior as an Old Testament thing. To fear the Lord 
is not servile fear. It is awe and reverence and it issues in trust in this God, confidence in this God, dependence on this God, love for God, obedience to God. You might remember Peter's words in 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. See, humility comes before the exalting, before the riches, the honour, life. Humility and the fear of the Lord. Let me give you some other verses from the New Testament that clearly emphasise this humility. In Colossians and chapter 3 and verse 12, we read there, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, Kindness, humility, meekness, closely related to humility, and long-suffering. But you see, it's, it's that awareness of God. You're the elect of God. You've been chosen by this great God who made the heavens and the earth. He set his love upon you, and you know that. And so you don't exalt yourself. You don't puff yourself up, push yourself into the prominence. No, you are humbled. You are humbled by these things. Or Colossians 3.22, bondservants, obey in all things your masters, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Fearing God. You're doing this because you are aware of God. Or we turn back to Isaiah again, to the Old Testament, to Isaiah chapter 57. There in verse 15. We find these words. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Again, you see the greatness of God. He inhabits eternity. His name is holy. And yet, who does he delight in? The one who has a broken spirit and a contrite heart. The humble one who recognizes this God. Scripture says elsewhere that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And that's what Solomon is commending for us here in Proverbs chapter 22. To say it is a summary of all that he has been saying and emphasizing in the wisdom in the Proverbs that we have here. It's reflected too in Christ's words in Luke chapter 14 and verse 11. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So this isn't a standalone, one-off statement by some. It fits into the entirety of the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament scriptures and the teaching of Christ. And these things are foundational. These things are the basic characteristics of those who are the true people of God. They are humble. They fear the Lord. 
Solomon here is epitomizing the life of godliness, the Christ-likeness that the scriptures speak of. And these are inseparable characteristics of the people of God. They are to characterize all those who are the sons of God and redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, have you imbibed Solomon's wisdom? Can you trace some of these elements out in your own life, in your own heart? If you've become a Christian, then you have been humbled. Because that's the only way you become a Christian. You are humbled because you realize how great God is and how insignificant you are and how sinful you are and how dependent you are upon him. These then mark out the Christian man, the Christian woman. Think about these things. Humility and the fear of the Lord, they are comparatively rare qualities, even in the Church of Christ. The Christian is someone who has priorities. These are the things that matter more than anything else to you in the world. This is part of your treasure. This is your treasure, your heavenly treasure. This is knowing this God and being humbled. It's the opposite then of that self-assertive pride, that self-centered promotion, that self-sufficiency. I don't need God. I can live a successful life without him. Some of you have tried to do that and failed dismally. And there are thousands of people who are trying to do that and their life is really a mess. I trust that you are not one of them, but you may be here this evening and really your life is something of a mess. Why? Because you've been focusing upon yourself. Solomon is a wise man and he is describing the true Christian man, if I may use that language, the true Christian woman and true characteristics of those who are the sons of God. Does this verse then describe you? Is your life marked by a sense of humility and the fear of God? Are these the things that matter to you most of all? Are these the things of greatest importance, of priority to you? Let us be careful. Let us not just assume that as we listen to these words this evening, that everything is well. And that all we've done tonight is to come here and just to fine-tune what we think is already well established in our lives. We need to examine ourselves and say, are these things true of me? We come to the Word of God to listen. We come to learn. We come to be taught. It is a humble spirit that says, I will listen to what my Lord will say to me from his Word. If you lack humility in the fear of the Lord, then... It's not easy to imbibe that kind of spirit. You may sit here and say, oh, it's all right for some people. This is not me. It's not describing me. And switch off and say nothing more about the whole thing. 
but it's a spirit of pride that hears these words and then does not take on board what Solomon in his wisdom is saying. This is the word of Christ. The word of Christ to us tonight, calling us to examine ourselves and to look at ourselves and say, am I marked by these characteristics? Because these characteristics, these qualities, mark all of Christ's disciples. Humility and the fear of the Lord is something the result of the Spirit of God. We're not perfect by any stretch of imagination, but they must be present. The word God-fearer has gone out of our language by and large, but the early Christians, and particularly among the Gentiles who set themselves apart from uh, the idolatry worship of their day and age. They were known as God-fearers. And if you're a Christian, you are a God-fearer because God is the most important in your life. What then are the blessings? What then are the rewards? What then are the consequences of humility and the fear of the Lord? Well, they are God's rewards. Riches, Honour and life. These three things flow from humility and the fear of the Lord. This is what we expect to see. And God can alone bestow these things. It's his prerogative. Now you could look at these things and say, well, he's speaking here about being blessed by God materially, being blessed socially. You are honoured and held in respect and you're blessed personally in your life. But I think there's a great deal more here than just those things. Now, in the Old Testament, many of those things were seen as earthly blessings and earthly possessions. When God blessed his people, he blessed them with wealth and he blessed them with honour and he gave them life. But when you look into the New Testament, it becomes clearer that these are spiritual blessings, first and foremost, that the Lord, pursue, per, that the Lord bestows on those who pursue righteousness. I deliberately asked him to read Matthew chapter 6 and that part of the Sermon on the Mount because Really, what we have in verse 33 of that chapter is the New Testament equivalent of what Solomon is saying. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The things that are added to you are the, the blessings of this life, but there is also the hint of treasure in heaven. But it's your priorities, you see. Seek first the kingdom of God. If you seek first the kingdom of God, then you will be characterized by humility and the fear of the Lord. Jesus is talking of material things here in the Sermon on the Mount. But in the context of those Christian priorities... And he is expanding our understanding of them. He's enlarging us, our vision, so that we will see that these things are not simply material blessings. A person may be a Christian and not have wealth. 
A person may be a Christian and not find honour because he's persecuted, she's persecuted. In the family, the family doesn't honour. And their life is a misery in some respects. And they don't enjoy a long life. Those are some of the realities, but the Lord Jesus Christ and Solomon is really also pointing towards things that are far greater than that. You think of what Paul wrote to uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. He's looking beyond this life. And then he goes on in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age. There were people in the early church. There are people in this congregation who are relatively rich. But don't be haughty. Don't lift yourself up and exalt yourself. Nor trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. You see, the eye is to be upon God and upon the blessings which he bestows. Even Abraham, when God spoke to Abraham, he made promises to him. He called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. And Abraham was a very wealthy man. Abraham was highly respected. And Abraham lived a long life, 175 years. He died full of years, the scripture says. Job. Now you know the story of Job. How he was afflicted, how he was tried. Yet before all that, he was a very rich man, a very wealthy man, a man of honor. And when he was restored and God poured out his blessing upon him, riches, honor, and life were further bestowed upon Job. It's what Solomon himself was given when he asked God for wisdom. Take it again into the New Testament. Think of what Christ promised Peter and the disciples. Christ was talking about riches. It's in Mark chapter 10. And he said to them, that if you trust in riches, it's hard to enter into the kingdom of God. If you make riches your priority, then you'll get a big, big, big idea about yourself and your own importance and the importance of wealth. Well, Peter said, look, Lord, we, we, we've left all. We followed you. I don't want to put it quite so crudely to say, well, what's in it for us? You know, what rewards are we going to get? But that's the essence of what Peter is saying. Listen to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in Mark 10 and verse 29. Peter said in verse 20, we've left all and followed you. And Jesus answered and said, assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and lands with persecutions, there's the realism, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. That's the promise of Christ. 
He's speaking of spiritual riches and wealth and honor. The key words are, in this life, you serve me for my sake and the gospels. You're serving righteousness, but you're not necessarily going to have an easy life. Persecutions. But that is not going to rob you of God's blessings. It's not going to rob you of riches that God bestows, the honor that God bestows, and let's use the word eternal life that God bestows in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ promises the riches of his grace now and the riches of glory in eternity. What does Paul say? Paul has learned to be content in whatever state he is. In Philippians 4 and verse 19, he goes on to say, My God will supply all your needs. How? According to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And I think ultimately that's what Solomon is talking about. The riches in glory. The blessing of God that comes and is bestowed upon those who are trusting in him and who live humbly, fearing him. Jesus Christ bestows honour. It's the fruit and reward of humility. The sons of God, who are they? They are the ones who are the heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. How, how can you measure that? How can you measure that richness? How can you measure that gift? But that comes to the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? They are those who humble themselves. They are those who fear the Lord. Or again, I know I'm giving you a lot of text this morning, but I, this, this evening, but I want you to see that this is not an isolated text. In John 12 and in verse 26, Jesus says, If anyone serves him, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. That's the promise of Christ. Now the queen gives out all her New Year's honors. You can become a sir or a dame or get an MBE, a CBE, and umpteen other things. But what are they? What are they compared to the honor that grace bestows upon you? The riches, the wealth, the honor, the eternal life that God gives through his son, Jesus Christ. See, Christ came into this world to give life, to give eternal life. To bring the blessing of God down upon us from heaven. To forgive us our sins. To make us new creatures. Raised with Christ to newness of life. Awaiting that glorious revelation of our adoption. When we will have a resurrection body like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. We raised with him. Our life is hid with Christ in God. That's the consequence 
of humility and the fear of the Lord. So that we're not men and women who are taken up with this world, with being entertained in this world, with possessing everything in this world. It's right that we have these things and we may be wealthy, but those are not the most important things in our life if we are Christians. Here is the grace of God then that flows to us. Here is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who gives humble God-fearers these immeasurable blessings. Even though you may suffer loss, you may be battered and bruised by the world, the day will come when you will no longer groan. The day will come when sin will no longer be any problem to you. You'll be free of sickness, free of disease, free of stress and trouble and strife. Those things will be in the past and soon forgotten when the day of eternity dawns. Here is your happiness, knowing God, having been humbled by him, fearing him, he is able to make you holy, he is able to make you happy, and he's able to bestow honour upon you that the world can never give you. The world promises much, but it bestows next to nothing. Nothing that lasts, nothing that is permanent. Some of you are still tempted to think how to be a waste of time serving God. There's nothing there for me, nothing there worth seeking after, nothing worth having and possessing. And yet God says, those who honour me, I will honour. That's God's promise. But if you despise God and you take him lightly, then there are serious consequences. I want you to think very carefully. You may never have actually said, well, to serve God is a waste of time, but that thought may have crossed your mind, gone through your head. Do you know where it comes from? It doesn't come from the word of God. See, Satan is active in this world. Satan is a, is a very clever angler. He's a fisherman. And he dangles a nice, tasty bait. But he hides the hook. That's how you catch fish. You give them a nice, tasty bait, but you hide the hook. And when the fish comes and takes the bait, you whip up your fishing rod and you catch your fish. Satan does that. What's one of the tasty baits that he puts on the end of his hook? Ah, uh, he says, it's a waste of time serving God. It's a waste of time. God doesn't really love sinners. No. You don't want to serve him. What do we know about Satan? What does Jesus say about Satan? He's a liar. And he's a murderer. And if you believe that lie, then death may follow because you never come to Christ. Compare 
Satan and his lies with Christ. Christ says, if you believe in me, I will give you everlasting life. Now, who are you going to believe? You're going to believe Satan's lies or you're going to believe the Lord Jesus Christ? Really, there is no choice, is there? Now, if that is a lie, if Satan is a liar saying, well, there's no point in serving God. It's a vain thing, empty thing. You won't get anything out of it. If you dismiss that, why then have some of you not come to Christ? Why have you not come? He offers you blessings, honour, eternal life. You're too proud to come? You don't think you need to come? Or perhaps you think, well, if I do come, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if Christ will receive me. Those are all excuses. Because Christ promises eternal life. Trust in his word. Come to him. Plead that he will give you that life because he has promised it. He is an all-sufficient saviour. That's why he died on the cross. To secure the forgiveness of your sins and my sins. He came to give me life. He comes to give you life. He comes to deliver you from the power of Satan. The power of darkness. From your guilt and your lostness. Will you not then weigh carefully what Solomon is saying here? And what Christ is saying in the gospel? Weigh carefully, young man. Weigh carefully, young lady. Those of you who are older, weigh carefully what decisions you are making. Which path are you taking? Are you telling yourself, oh, everything's okay. I can handle this. That again is part of your pride. I'm afraid I have to say that. When I was a teenager, my sister used to say to me, ringing in my ears even now, many years later, no one can tell you anything. <laughs> Is that true of you? Are you going to listen to the word of God? Are you going to listen to Solomon's wisdom? Are you going to listen to the words of Jesus Christ? The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its path leads to hell. You need to come to Christ. Not because you are humble, but you need to come to Christ, and in coming to Christ you are humbled. You're brought low because you're made to cast yourself then upon Christ. Don't then delay come to him now he'll receive you now why turn away from him why despise him he will receive you and he will bestow immeasurable riches and honour and eternal life on you that's not a waste is it
to know that you are God's, that you belong to God, that you are safe in the arms of Christ, that you are, you are saved from your sins. Is that a waste of time? Is that throwing away your life? No, Christ has come to give you life and to give it to you now. Christian, as you read these things, don't doubt the goodness of God. I, I don't know all the details of your life. I don't know the struggles that some of you may go through and the difficulties that you face. There are some people who are not here tonight. They're too ill. They're not well. They have chronic conditions which prevent them from being here. It's a struggle for them. But if they are Christians, they are the most blessed people in the world. Because Christ has bestowed riches, honour and eternal life on them. He's bestowed that upon you. And the gifts that God gives, he never withdraws. Never withdraws. God is too kind to do that. The gifts he gives are without any repentance on his part. He doesn't give them reluctantly. He is abounding in grace. He loves to bestow these things upon his people. But he would have us learn to be humble and to fear him and thereby to trust him, to depend upon him and to love him and obey him. That's the life of a Christian. So here is Solomon's wisdom. Let us imbibe it. Let us hear what he says, that our lives may be marked by these things, humility and the fear of God and the enjoyment then of these, all these blessings which God freely bestows.